This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Raleigh Firminger, and today I am thrilled to welcome Jesse Inokalia to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm stoked. I am stoked to have Jesse here today <laughs> for a lot of reasons, beginning with his talent. Jesse is a hella talented. Am I young enough or old enough to say hella talented? Oh, God. Jesse is a hella <laughs> talented actor and voice actor arguably best known for his stunning work voicing Soren on The Dragon Prince. Soren is one of my favorite characters on the hit show because he contains multitudes. He can be cocky and brash, but also charming, charismatic, kind, and a little bit dim, just a little bit dim. And Jesse's inspired performance hits all of those beats. I'm not surprised. Jesse is a versatile performer whose lengthy and growing filmography includes Spider-Ham in Marvel Battleworld, Mystery of the Thanos Stones, Reptile in Marvel Superhero Adventures, Scorm in Lego Chima, and Sasa in Yoohoo and Friends. It's bonkers to think that all of these characters, who don't sound at all alike, are voiced by the same person. And that speaks to Jesse's mad skills skills with a Z. With a Z, yeah. Yeah, in the voice booth. Another reason I'm excited to have Jesse here today is because he's an outspoken advocate for diversity and representation. And do you hear those trucks outside? I do hear them. The minute that we started the recording, they started. Yeah. They're going. Oh, they know it. They want to be part of it. <laughs> anyway, Jesse is, he's an outspoken advocate for diversity and representation in Hollywood in general and in the animation realm in particular. And... Well, regular listeners to this podcast know that I am too. Jesse is Filipino-Canadian and a fierce advocate for Filipino talent. I know that when I told my daughter, who herself is Filipino and South Asian and Ukrainian and English, that Soren was brought to life by a Filipino voice actor, she damn near lost her mind. <laughs> a direct quote. That is the coolest thing ever. We're everywhere. We are. Yeah. So today I'm hoping to talk with Jesse about all of it, about voicing Soren, about the joys and challenges. God, I love talking about challenges of building and sustaining a career in our bonkers animation industry and about why representation matters now more than ever. Jesse Inokalia, 
Welcome. Thank you. To the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. That's a hell of an intro. I appreciate it. Checks in the mail. (laughs) Thank you. And I got to tell you guys, uh, I was very enthusiastic, so enthusiastic about having Jesse here today that I actually smashed uh, my glass on the floor. We'll put it on the social feed later. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not putting it on my social feed, but <laughs> go to Jesse's Jesse's uh, social feed and you can see my smash glass, which I've just left there. As, it's uh, just there. That's just, just a reminder. It's just part of it yeah. now. Um, Represents the barriers we're going to break. Oh, all, all the barriers. All the barriers. Um, how do you think of yourself? How do you describe yourself? Like, oh, do, like, I mean, I know that you love my intro, but do you see yourself reflected in all of the words that I use to describe you? I mean, in, in an ideal world, I would say yes. Um, I mean, certainly, like, I, I'm very open that I deal with anxiety and depression as well. Me too, me and, too. Oh, my God, join the club. <laughs> <laughs> we meet every Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, underneath the Wendy's on Candy. Yeah. Um, Ooh, Wendy's. I, yeah, I, I would I would like to, and I, I'm very grateful and I'm very thankful and I, I take it all in, but... You know, existing as an actor, as we do, we have an industry with a with a with a what is a rejection rate of ninety nine point nine percent. It can be. Uh, it, it's always very humbling, and it's always very welcome. But I'd be I'd be lying if I said that I didn't have days where I woke up and I was like, "What am I doing here? Mm. What is my life?" <laughs> and when those when those days happen, and I know that for me they happen. A lot, Mm -hmm. all the time, Mm -hmm. despite leaning on all the stuff in my toolkit to try to prevent them or mitigate them. Um, What do you do when you wake up like that? What are some of your strategies or tools that you use? I I have a couple. There was actually, I I read an article recently that really made me think about it. Weirdly enough, written by the lead singer of Eve Six, who has started an advice column. I'm sorry, but the le- that Eve Six Twitter account. I love I was, it. I love Brilliant. it. I was yeah. never into the band at all. Yeah. But I. I know their one song, and I love their one song. <laughs> it's a great song. It's a great song. Yeah. And now I want to hear the rest <laughs> of their discography. But he he recently he started an advice column Amazing. for some magazine. I don't remember which. And he spoke about his own struggle with depression. Yeah. And he essentially said, I can swear, right? Swearing is okay. Fuck yes, you can. Wonderful. Thank you. He said, you know, depression is an absolute motherfucker. Mm. And sometimes you just need to get up and instead of wallow in it, fucking box it. Hmm. Just like get up, do whatever you can, even if it's like small victories, you know, go to the gym for half an hour, go to the gym walk around, decide it's too busy, then leave. That's yeah. fine, too. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's like, because I find it really hard when I'm depressed to have a shower. Mm, like, yeah. just the thought yeah, of yeah. getting into the shower. Yep. Like it, and, like, it becomes that impossible task. Yeah. Like, I know I have to do. I have but to do it today. I do not want to. But I don't want to. Yeah. It's... And that, that too, you know, even the simple act of, like, getting out of bed and, like, putting on some clothes or yeah. getting out of bed and taking a shower or taking my dog for a walk or something. You have a dog? I do. Well, that's a good I mental do. health thing right there. It, oh, boy. Is I she. have cats and they don't help at all. Oh, no, I they do help. They do help. <laughs> <laughs> they actually do. And, and they're very snuggly. They're kind of like dogs yeah. and that they beg for food and they love to play and, and whatever. But um, no, uh, that's really good for anything that can bring you outside of yeah. your head a little bit. Just, too. just anything, because so much of so much of, uh, you know, the mental health issues I deal with, I recognize are Pardon me. Uh, I don't want to say entirely self-imposed because I know that there's, you know, there's various chemistry and chemicals and stuff bubbling around in there. But 
you know, I, I as any actor does, you know, or anybody does, we wake up in the morning sometimes and we think, you know, um, oh, everyone hates me. Mm. And that's patently untrue. Yeah. And I recognize it as untrue. But my brain is sometimes like, no, 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 no. But everyone hates you. Don't worry about that. <laughs> And sometimes it's just even even the smallest reminder of, you know, oh, that's not true or little little things to to pull you out of your head, as you were saying, yeah. are enough to kind of snap you back to reality. Yeah. But man, anyway, coming back to your original question. So I don't even remember I've, what it was. I'm trying to. At this point. But um, I, I mean, honestly, though, I, I appreciate you bringing mental health into this conversation. I appreciate every time that you post about it on Twitter. I mean, that's where I know you from, really. It's true. <laughs> Beyond enjoying your work, like, it's Twitter. I mean, Twitter, I actually find, has been very helpful for my mental health mm. because it's a when people like yourself use it and you're speaking out about what you're going through, and then I'm in the same place, and I'm like, hey, I feel that. I'm not alone. It's actually been a really wonderful tool for that, and I will... I derive some kind of power in sure. every time. And it takes the power away from my mental health issues yeah. when I tweet about it. Yeah, totally. Totally. You know, it's so funny coming back to, you know, the points you were saying about diversity and representation. Uh, Twitter became a real lifeline for me hmm. through, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say the bulk of the pandemic because I don't think we're there yet. Mm -hmm. But the beginning of the pandemic because, you know, we were all very isolated. And I mean, I was I was in a great situation, all considered. You know, I have my I have my partner, I had my I have my dog, you know, we've got a our tight little family unit and we we're all relatively reserved. I mean, the dog certainly isn't, but mm -hmm, my partner mm -hmm. and I are. And um I I started really feeling that that thrust towards community because mm. I didn't have any, right, outside of, you know, my family unit. And I got to know guys like J.B. Tadena and Earl Balon and Zedric Rostaro and all of these incredibly talented Filipino or Philam talent. And it's because of them that, you know, I, I found representation in L.A. And mm. I found community within within the Filipino Actors Barcada group that I'm a part of. And it really it was such a wonderful little lifeline hmm. to just be like, oh, I'm not alone. Because in as much as we have, you know, a very thriving, very bustling uh, Asian Canadian, Filipino Canadian uh, acting community or actor group in uh, in Vancouver, we don't have that sort of community. Mm -hmm. Not yet. Not least. yet. Here's hoping someday. Yeah. But it's uh, it, it's been really nice. It's been really nice to be able to have that uh, that that outlet. Yeah. Even though. Twitter drives me absolutely fucking bananas sometimes. And I need to I need to log off more often. Yeah, every once in a while I do get texts from because I'll be like, I'll be like screaming through my yeah, Twitter. Yeah. And Nicole Oliver, one of my Bless dearest her. friends, she will text me and she will be like, It's time to put your phone down. It's time to uninstall Twitter for a bit. Yeah. Take a break. Just and I'm like, log yeah. off. Yeah. And Touch I do. Grass. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, I would like to yes. actually go back in time. Please. Uh, and we're going to talk about all of it. Oh, I bet. And Dragon Prince fans, don't you worry. It'll happen. We're going to talk about Soren. Uh, and people who are here because they want to talk about diversity. Of course, yeah. We're going to talk about that too. But first, got to figure out who the hell this Jesse Inokalia is. That's a good is. question. Um, 
Which is a question, but it's not the question. I'm going to go back in time to your childhood. Sure. You know, what kind of a kid were you? <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, bring us back in time, like, to, oh, to a time in your childhood that kind of gives us a glimpse to who you are now. I, okay. So, I mean, I grew up in Burnaby, of all places. Um, of all of places. Of all places, Burnaby. <laughs> but um, when I was growing up, we were the only house at the end of the street, mm-hmm. you know, surrounded by woods. Um, my mom is and continues to be uh, an active child and youth psychologist in Vancouver. Uh, my dad at the time was a martial arts instructor and mm. has since moved on. He was a monk before. He's not a great monk because hello. But um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm not going to pass judgment, but like that's one of the things, right? You're not a great monk. But yeah, it's OK. He's good at other stuff. <laughs> Not at monking. Not at monking. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we grew up kind of surrounded by woods. I, as a kid, you know, I would spend a lot of time playing in the woods and, you know, exploring and stuff. And <laughs> I remember this is this is an incredibly distinct childhood memory for me. Uh, we, our house had a big deck in the back. And I remember running up the stairs. My room was downstairs, running up the stairs to the deck and seeing, and I, I know for a fact that this is not the truth of the of the experience, but this is what I remember. This is your memory. Okay. It okay. looked like fucking dune back there. Just just <laughs> sand dunes everywhere <laughs> and construction machines digging stuff out. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And, you know, now I recognize, you know, the land had been sold and developed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the time it was just like, what? what the fuck I mean not fuck at the time I was a young Catholic boy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah I, I was you know I when I was a kid I when I was a kid I have distinct memories of wanting to be a firefighter mm. but I also you know gave that up when I realized it wasn't just hanging out in a house and playing with dogs all day mm. that's, um, that's sad I know I know. That's sad. You would think there'd be a job like that. But. Yeah. No. I'm sorry. I just want to go back yeah, to that seeing all of the construction yeah, equipment. Yeah. What did you... So, th- I mean, basically, you're you're describing a moment where you, you are running up the stairs. Yeah. You see your place where you were playing. Yeah. Your imagination playground was being destroyed. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. what kind of emotions are you feeling oh god i mean like what did that do to you (laughs) it turned me into the joker sabrina um no it was that was on my joker moment uh it it was horrifying at the time i remember like running to my mom and just being like oh my god what's happening what's happening and you know as i as, as i grew up of course it was it was fine well not for the earth but for the for me for my psyche it was right right but yeah, it's just it's funny that that sticks out so so fervently in my head. Huh. Um, yeah, like you know, beyond that, I remember we had a my dad had a had a gym on top of the on top of our garage where he would teach people, you know. So we'd have a pretty steady stream of you know martial arts students coming and going. And yeah, I trained from. My mom jokes around and says that my dad had me kicking in the crib. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, were you good at it? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah good enough to teach. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, and what do you? What do you? What did you? What do you feel like you 
got from it. And I, will, I mm. say, I say yeah, this please. as somebody who's my daughter is grading tomorrow, you oh. know, and she's she's eleven and she's been training since she was five. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. not I don't look at her and be like, you're going to be a black belt and you're going to be, you know, you're going to kick some, you're going to be Michelle Yeoh or whatever. I don't look at her and think that. It's more like. Oh, you've got community through this. Yep. You've got, um, you know, some really good physical awareness. You got discipline. Yeah. You know, all of these other, you know, other things that you might not even know. Yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, and then there's the added, you know, thing about being a girl. You know, and having, you know, the ability to defend yourself of course, and yeah, your space which is and, massive. and to walk through the world unafraid, and which is something that I've never had. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm like, I want that for her. For sure. Um, you know, so with that kind of, you know, couching my question, you know, mm-hmm, with that, mm-hmm. you know, what do you what do you think you've gotten from from having that training? I mean, outside of uh, an appreciation for not only my body and what it can do, I would say, you know, breath control is hu- especially mm-hmm. in my current career, breath control, patience, discipline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are all important things. Um I think I think something that's really stuck with me is uh, I mean, in case it wasn't patently obvious, I'm a little oppositional defiant when it comes to authority. I got nothing. You got. Yeah, it's just it's there. That's life. (laughs) And it it really and that that extends insofar as myself as well, where, you know, if I see something and I meet a limit, I'm just like, well, that's not it. Yeah, I need to keep moving. And, you know, it 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 has pushed me in many ways to be better and to be more um, more experimental mm-hmm. in my stuff. You know, my my home style is, you know, Arnis, it's Filipino martial arts. It's very, you know, weapon, stick, knife, hand to hand, some grappling, so on, so forth. And I thought, this is great, but that can't be all there is. Mm-hmm. So my studies continued into, you know, I did a couple years of karate. I did a couple years of kung fu. I did tai chi all throughout high school. Oh, awesome. I did 10 years of capoeira, um, which was incredible because, you know, it taught me all sorts of absolutely limits pushing and boundary pushing yeah. movements even. And even ways to rethink martial arts. Mm. Cause you know you, you grow up, you grow up a kid born in '85, and you see all the you know the ninja craze of the '90s happening, and you think it's one thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not only speaking to the to the uh, the Western perspective of martial arts, but there is so much more kind of couched in that that is really couched in the in the very like heteronormative patriarchal trappings mm-hmm. of of western culture that are very you know uh this is this is a man's thing this is a powerful thing and it has to look a certain way and be a certain way and spending time through tai chi would be is a huge one because you know it's all very slow very calculated very relaxed breathy heavy movements mm. and then into capoeira which was couched as a dance yeah. for hundreds of years as you know brazil was colonized by by portugal and then colonized by itself and mm. so on and so forth it, it it really gave me a a basis with which to think differently about the uh about not only what I was doing with martial arts, but myself. Yeah. You know? 
<laughs> you know what I find amazing is that I had no idea. Like, I and I love yeah. not knowing where a conversation is going to go. <laughs> I really was not expecting us to get to this kind of stuff so quickly. Um, but also, what I find amazing is there's been really nothing in what you've said so far that ha- ha- will, you know, especially because we're reflecting on your your childhood. That I'm like, okay, there's the there's. There's that's a moment where he decided to become a voice actor oh. or he decided to become an actor. Well, like, I'll where tell does you, the, that the come moment, from, Jesse? The, okay, so th- th- this kind of comes a little bit later. My dad was a stuntman. The bad man. monk? Yeah. yeah, the bad monk was oh, a stuntman. Okay. He kind of he fell into it because, you know, he was teaching martial arts. He taught stuntmen and they were like, oh, you should do this. Yeah. And my dad's a little dude. He's like 5'2". You know, he's very slight of frame. <clears throat> so he got a lot of work doubling for, you know, smaller people, yeah. women. All sorts of <clears throat> all sorts of um you know performances throughout yeah. the you know late eighties, early nineties, through the nineties. And he booked <laughs> when he, when it was like ninety three, I think, he booked uh, Ninja Turtles three hmm. as the stunt person for Michelangelo. And <clears throat> yeah, I know. <laughs> and my brother and I were both huge Ninja Turtles nerds. And my dad, my dad says, you know, he went into the audition for it. And, <laughs> you know, the producers were like, OK, well, why do you want this? And he's like, well, my kids won't let me come home. If yeah. I don't book this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he books that and, you know, it's it's huge. We end up the whole family ends up going down to Seaside, Oregon for a summer while he's shooting it. We all end up in this hotel room and. I end up on set because they need more child extras. Whoa. And I'm like 10 at the time. So, you know, there's pictures of me hanging in my in my mom's place that have, you know, my dad in the turtle suit and me in a little kimono with like my hair in a top knot. What? Doubling for doubling for kids. And I was just like, "Wow, this is people make money doing this." Yeah. I could make money doing this. Yeah. And with my martial arts background, and, you know, like the first movie I ever saw was Rocky. Mm. Like my mom did not love that my dad brought me to it. But <laughs> I mean, I slept through most of it. Apparently yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was two. It was fine. <laughs> you I, were two? Uh, probably. Or whenever Rocky came out, I don't recall. But Wait, your dad brought a toddler yeah. to Rocky. That's right, yeah. Because he wanted to see it, and I was in a crib. It was fine. <laughs> Your dad is fascinating. He's All weird. the stuff He's you've a... said about him so far. Not that you're not fascinating, <laughs> but I feel like I should have a new like series that's like you know people like bring their dad to do the. Oh podcast, my god, that would be a great you podcast. know, and then to like um to try to understand where they come from. Yeah, because I'm like I'm fascinated with this like uh this bad monk, bad monk, you know, Ninja, uh, Turtle. Ninja Turtle who brought his kid to Rocky, brought his kid to Rocky, his yeah. toddler, to, toddler Rocky. to Rocky. Wow. Yeah. Um. Wow. It, yeah. So I I kind of came up on movie sets. Yeah. Once my dad started doing more and more stunts, and you know when I was when I was thirteen, twelve or thirteen. Somewhere in there, maybe a little younger. My dad was on Ninja Turtles, The Next Mutation, which shot here, mm-hmm. doubling for the girl turtle because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was the smallest of the stunt guys. Yeah. Of course. And I ended up just, you know, I, I had nothing to do that summer. I just ended up going to set with him. That is a great set. That's like better than any camp in town. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. Wow. And, you know, I really came up in, in on sets. Yeah. And... I remember, you know, with my martial arts background and with, you know, being a big action movie nerd and 
coming up in the 80s and 90s, as all, all of us do. I, well, everyone that came up in the 80s and 90s anyway, mm-hmm. I really wanted to start looking at making this a real thing. Yeah. So, you know, I got enrolled in acting classes when I was a teenager. I was big in, you know, high school drama and high school improv. And even before that, you know, after we, after Turtles happened, Turtles 3, I, I got bit. I was like, I need to find an agent. I need to get auditioning, so yeah. on and so forth. And uh, I ended up going to acting school. Pardon me. I know. It's because I gave you a bubbly water. I know. It happened. Yeah. Um, this water is like, just keeps biting us in the ass. First the glass on the floor the and then all the burps and, and everything. And... Jesus. <sighs> Sorry. We got to pay buble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love those buble commercials. They are good. Yeah. They're fun. He's a he's an interesting guy. He's a Burnaby guy. He, he is, isn't yeah, he? Yeah. He lives on Government I, Road. So years ago when I was working at Playland, I was uh, I was working in the haunted houses. I worked there for a long time, and I was calling people into the haunted house. I was, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, I was barking people in, and there was this dude who kept like trying to trying to get his wife or his his girlfriend or partner at the time anyway to like go in, but she was really scared. Aww. And you know, there was like this this playland guy walking behind them, and he was like really cool about it. He wanted to take pictures with me, and like he wanted his his partner to take pictures with me, but she was too scared. And, you know, they walked away and I was just, I called over the security guy and I was like, why are you here? Is that like, is that, are they causing trouble? He was like, no, don't you know who that is? And I'm like, no. And he was like, oh, that's, that's Michael Buble. Hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, I see what you're doing. Okay, that's fine. But I thought it was interesting that Michael Buble was so, so insistent that his, his partner gets scared. <laughs> that is awesome. Um. Anyway, yes. What were we talking about? We were talking Jesse? about uh, what got me into That's right. This. You were talking about acting classes. Yes. And... So 13, 13, I'm on set for like Turtles Next Mutation. And it, it has firmly cemented in my head now that I want to do action movies. I want to do like, you know, I want to do Rocky. I want to do... Uh, Rumble in the Bronx. Rumble in the Bronx. Oh, yeah. I auditioned for Rumble in the Bronx. No way. When I was a kid, I auditioned for the kid in the wheelchair. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I clearly didn't get it. Yeah, because we would be talking about it, right? We would be talking about right it. Now. But... Did your dad do, do Rumble in the Bronx? I, I don't know. He may have done stunts Because like, I feel it, like but... every guy who yeah. was working at that time <laughs> was doing Rumble was in the Bronx. Was doing Rumble in the yeah. Bronx, yeah. But, uh, oh, so... and by the can yeah. I just like tell... Oh, please, yeah, yeah. Please I would let me to. tell the, the listeners. Rumble in the Bronx famously... Or maybe not, if you don't know. Filmed in Vancouver. And they didn't even do that much work to to make Vancouver uh, look like the Bronx. Yeah. It just, it's Vancouver. Very different places. Very different places, yeah. It's just Vancouver, but we're all supposed to be like, yeah, it's the Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love, so I went to go see Sonic 2 in theaters uh, a couple weeks back. And I just thought it was so funny how little they tried to hide that it was Vancouver. Yeah. Like the the main first action sequence takes place on Hornby Street downtown, yeah. and they don't even hide the sign. It's great, and I'm just like, wow, that's the best Seattle I've ever seen. Yeah, shout out to Lee Majdoop. Shout out to Stone. Lee, doing okay. great. You keep we have dive we've digressed. Okay, turtles, yes, turtles. Okay, you're thirteen. So, thirteen. Flash forward. I Wait. am. <laughs> we flash forward. Yeah, I want to get to this. <laughs> I want to get to the part where I do the thing, the voice act. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, 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 okay. So flash forward. Um, I am, you know, 18, 19. I've auditioned for a whole bunch of acting schools. Um, 
I got accepted to a couple of them. I didn't end up going because I was quite poor at the time. And I ended up going to uh, what used to be School Creative here under mm. Kirsten Clarkson. And, you know, I I had a lot of fun. I made some really good friends. I, you know, learned a lot. And I graduated and I'm like, okay, here I am. Yeah. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready, ready to audition. <laughs> and one of my acting coaches puts it best in saying that, like, you got out into the scene and casting was like, okay, what the fuck do we do with you? Because, mm. you know, I was a stocky 5'3", at the time, long-haired Filipino kid. Mm. Well, ethnically ambiguous kid. Right. And I was just like, I, I found no success. Hmm. <clears throat> I was auditioning for, you know, tweaker, drug dealer, um, cartel. I still, I still get those calls once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I was just crestfallen. I was like, what? What am I doing wrong? Hmm. And my agent at the time happened to know Michael Dobson hmm. and called me and was like, hey, um, so Dobson's having this voiceover workshop this weekend and a spot opened up. Do you want it? And I said, sure. I'm not doing anything else. Might as well. And I'd always loved cartoons and video games. I still continue to. Yeah. But I never thought it was a thing. Hmm. And then I did Michael's workshop and I was like, oh, this is a thing. Yeah. And it was at that point where I was like, this is the thing I want to specialize in. Hmm. Because it didn't matter, you know, how nice my six pack was, how long my hair was, how blue my eyes were. I'm sorry, I meant uh, how nice my eyes were. Mm -hmm. It, it <laughs> mattered how uh, how well you did the job. Yeah. How, how uh, skilled you were as an actor and as a storyteller. Yeah. And that really pushed me forward. Yeah. Everything from that point was like, you know, I want to get better as an actor, but I also couldn't give two shits about the on-camera industry anymore. Yeah. And I still I still feel basically the same way. I, I still audition for on-camera. I enjoy doing it. I like doing a little bit here and there. Certainly, if they want to pay me $1,000, sit in a trailer for half a day, then say two words, love it. Big yeah. fan. But, you know, it... It really propelled me forward into where I am now. Mm. Tell me about your first time in the voice booth. Oh, my God. <laughs> so my very first time in the voice booth was for Pirates of the Caribbean Armada of the Damned, which was a game being developed here at, I don't I think, Propaganda Studios. And I was so nervous, man. Let me tell you, I... Because, like, I'd been auditioning for about nine months at yeah. that point. And I was like, there's no way in hell. And I ended up booking, like, two, three larger roles on the project and, like, seven little, like, background characters. And I'm hey, like, that's what a, am I, what that's am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> I am in booth for Disney recording, you know, all of these characters for a Pirates of the Caribbean game. I was so nervous. I was just like, I was, I, I nearly psyched myself out of it. But my coach at the time was like, look, dipshit, just get your shit together and do it. And pardon me, it couldn't have been a more, um, it couldn't have been a more welcoming, more friendly, more, more, um, almost collaborative experience as an actor. And, mm. you know, my next, my next big booking was Yoohoo and Friends, which <laughs> a story is about that one. <laughs> Uh, it couldn't have Good been... Good stories? Bad stories? A little bit of both. Yeah. A little bit of both. The, the recording process, everything about it was wonderful. 
Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. You know, I got to work with Dave Feese, who was the uh, the <laughs> the the mind behind Cow and Chicken. And the mind behind, like, he used to work on the old Ren and Stimpy cartoons. Mm -hmm. Like, he's he's brilliant. He's so brilliant. Like, yeah. we still chat whenever I'm in L.A. And, you know, getting to meet him was wonderful. Getting to say I share a credit with Flavor Flav is pretty incredible. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the contentious part is that um, Aurora World, who are the licensees of, or licensors of uh, Yuhu and Friends, the, the toys, we're not thrilled with the final product. Mm. So we only ever saw play in Australia, Europe, and South America for it. And then it got rebooted maybe three years ago, three mm -hmm. or four years ago. But the whole shtick was that like David and Tom Krajewski, who was one of the head writers on Fairly Odd Parents, got the scripts for it and were like, these are bad. We're going to rewrite them and mm. make them fun and funny. And they did. It's a very funny show. But... Um, <laughs> I guess the I guess the toy manufacturers didn't uh, didn't like it. They did not appreciate the sense of humor. Wow. What would you say are some of the challenges that you have faced as you have navigated? Oh boy, <laughs> this, the, the voice <laughs> side of the industry. Um, I would say, to be completely frank about it, there do is it, still do it, be frank. I intend to be. Uh, there is still a big, uh, there's still a wall in voiceover, especially for talent that have not been working for 30, 40, 50 years. Um, there's still a wall there for performers of color. There is still um, resistance from studio and from some casting to seeing more than just they're used to seeing. Hmm. And I mean that both in terms of actors they're familiar working with, but I also mean that in terms of actors of color. Hmm. Because, you know, there's so much, there's so much, has been so much uh, hubbub made of, you know, white actors performing uh, people of color roles or um, those same white performers saying, you know, why shouldn't I be allowed to audition for uh, the the Indian role in johnny quest yeah. say and it's it's disheartening but it also speaks to something that i think is incredibly true that performers of color how whatever color that may be need to work three or four times as hard hmm. as our as our less melanated colleagues mm -hmm. to be taken as seriously or to be seen to the same extent as they are and i don't i don't put that on the actors, you know, we're all just we're all just trying to survive out here. And, you know, I'm not mad at anybody, certainly not publicly. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, there is a resistance and it often comes from studio. Yeah. Where, you know, studios like, oh, we've worked with um, uh, Claude Whiteman a whole bunch. That's not a real guy. It's just the and the first name that came to head, and then White Man Claude as a last name. Claude Whiteman. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> if there is a Claude Whiteman, my apologies. I don't mean you. I mean the <laughs> the royal Claude Whiteman. Um, there there is a hesitation because you know they've worked with whoever for you know twenty thirty years on a singular project, or maybe they've had them in the booth and they can do all the all the wacky voices and all the stuff that used to be really popular, mm -hmm. but 
what I'm seeing more and more is that, and I'm thankful to see this more and more, that there is that push, there is that investment in authentic, diverse, representative storytelling yeah. and authentic, diverse, and representative casting. Yeah. And the the hard part about that is that there is still a lot of pushback, both from actors, from studio, and once in a while from fans. Why? Because it's a challenge to the white supremacist status quo? Yeah, exactly. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in the but case of- But even from of, fans. Even from fans. You see this a lot with anime, especially, mm. where um, this actually happened quite recently, where um, an actor, an actor of color was announced for a, a large role in an anime. And the fans got really upset because, well, not the fans, but a particular group of the fans mm -hmm. were upset because they thought it was too political or that the show was getting woke or whatever. And the truth of the matter is that actor is supremely talented, mm -hmm. deserves that role, and has worked four or five times harder to get to to get to the point where they can audition for roles like that. Yeah. And it is a massive win, not only for you know, for that actor, but for the community at yeah. large. Yeah. You know, I, it's really funny how um, how people on that end of the political spectrum will say that something is woke. Yeah. At, like as if it that's like a negative thing. Yeah. You know, where yeah. like woke for me is like it means that like there's been this sleeping giant, this white supremacist, <laughs> you know, very like ch like, you know, just like very happy with how things are giant. Yeah. You know, and and then they have been shaken awake. Yeah. And they are now no longer asleep to all the ways that the system has hurt people. Yeah. So I think woke is a good thing. I think so. You know, and Absolutely. so and so what we're seeing, like, do you think that we're seeing the um the death rattle, you know, for white supremacy or or you know I mean, you talked about the pushback. Yeah. You know, do you see? Do you think that the pushback could become like a clawback? You know, where the kind of gains that we've made as people of color, you know, um, will be. I mean, we're seeing this a lot too with queer rights. Yeah. As well. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, an actual clawing back of of rights. Yeah, I. I'm basically I'm asking you to look into the future. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of have two. I, I'm of two minds about this because mm -hmm. I think there's one of two ways it could go. Um, I think that in an ideal world, what we see is the clawback, but from our side. It's the reclaiming of our stories and media and seeing talented people of color and queer creators mm. step forward and be able to tell their stories. Like, um, you know, like uh, like the Owl House recently, mm. or um, uh, Amphibia has some has some really lovely stuff in it. Um, that is my ideal that would happen. Yeah. What I'm what I'm concerned about happening is the clawback from the other way, but done in such a way so as to be pandering. And I think that's what we're starting to see more of, which is concerning to me. It's the same sort of mindset that's like, you know, Disney's announced it's like fifth or sixth first canonically queer character. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the it's the, you know, the two rebel pilots in Rise of Skywalker who share a kiss and then it pans over to a gross slug going. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's me doing a like a grumpy face for the audio listeners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that there is 
there's a way that a lot of like the the top level media corporations are trying to get away with rainbow capitalism. Oh, what a term. Yes. I I like it. Yeah. It's not mine. I pulled it off Twitter somewhere. But... Oh, boo then. <laughs> <laughs> Claiming somebody else's work. No, it's fine. You give credit. You give credit. Yeah. Um so yeah. rainbow capitalism that's something that can I mean capitalism anything. Capitalism anything bad, bad, but rainbow capitalism is devious and we see it a lot too with um we we see it too in in PGM or BIPOC scenes as well where you know they will they'll hire one black guy mm-hmm. or they'll hire one Asian person you know Aquafina is the only Asian American actress ever mm-hmm. <laughs> apparently <laughs> said with love to Aquafina but still you know they're not willing to <clears throat> to extend their boundaries and i think the same can and has happened in voiceover before where you know and this is of course not on the part of the actors this is on studio where they'll see um they'll look at a cast and say like okay we have one black kid we're great we're done yeah or we have oh we've got one asian it's fine already yeah. you know almost like they're filling quotas as opposed to investing in telling stories right and i think that we're seeing i think we're seeing an upswell of <clears throat> of authenticity and diversity which is beautiful and in bigger and bigger ways you know you look at like um encanto or turning red or um i mean she-ra she on the princesses of power on yes. netflix was beautiful uh i mean dragon prince of course has some has some really of cool course. stuff in there um arcane was the biggest show of last year on netflix and it has some really beautiful queer representation in it yeah um but i am i am afraid of when of when all the the lizard brain ceos start getting their claws into it and thinking like okay how can we do this but do it in such a way where where we get to keep doing things right our way yeah yeah you do speak out a lot about this. Oh boy, do about I about yeah. diversity and representation. You do it on Twitter. Um, have you personally experienced any pushback at all? Do you ever worry that you're speaking out too much in a way that's going to damage your career? I, I have, and I do worry. Um, I can't say for sure whether or not it has. Yeah. Because I mean, I wouldn't be privy to those conversations. I. I suspect it probably has. Yeah. But, you know, it's either that or be inauthentic. Mm. And I spent a lot of I'd spent a lot of my life being inauthentic and I don't want to do that yeah. anymore. And I have to think that at the end of the day, the people who I want on my side are the ones who will make the move to champion me. Hmm. And the the opportunities that I miss out on for whatever reason, be it, you know, I'm outspoken or be it I'm just not the right voice. Yeah. I have to think that those opportunities aren't for me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't want to name specifics in that case, but I have had instances where I've missed out on an opportunity and just been like, fuck, I really wish I'd gotten that. And then I'll hear about it, you know, from another actor friend or I'll I'll see the the way it lands and I'll just be like, oh, well then. Oh, they went that way. That's fine. Yeah. Whatever. That was their choice. Yeah. 
Can we talk about the Dragon Prince? Please, yeah. Can we talk about Soren? Of course. Um, I mean, the Dragon Prince is, it's art. <laughs> it's art and it's accessible and it's a hit. At what point did you realize that you were part of something special? Oh, God. <laughs> so we had our, I booked the job. And at the time it was just called TDP. And I was like, great, I can pay my rent. Wonderful. I love eating. Big fan. Yeah, same, same. And <laughs> I mean, I don't love to pay my rent, uh, but I have to. No, yeah. And I uh, love eating. I love eating. Big fan. Yeah. Huge fan. And uh, my agent sends me an email and says, hey, uh, the creators wanted to email you. Can I give them your email address? And I was like, uh, yeah, of course you can. They're paying me. They yeah. can do whatever they want. <laughs> and I get a nice email from Aaron and Justin, Aaron Ahas, Justin Richmond, who are the the show creators. And it says, you know, thank you so much for being a part of the project, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I'm like, okay, cool. That's nice. I'm sure that I'm sure they've sent this out to everybody. And and then I Googled them mm. and I was like, oh, Aaron's the lead writer on Avatar. Justin, uh, Justin was in charge of the Uncharted games. And then the panic set in <laughs> of like, oh, no. oh this is big. <laughs> And I had to like internally contain myself to just be like, everything's fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. But the real moment it hit me was after our first table read. Mm. So we had a table read. It was at the Granville Island Hotel. There was free wine and snacks. And you know how actors are with free wine and snacks. Love them. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we did, we table read the first four episodes. It was a really lovely time. We got to meet each other. Not for the first time. I'd worked with, you know, Raquel Belmonte before and Jason and I have worked together before. Mm. And after that table read, we all got emails again from Aaron and Justin. And the emails said, you know, of course, thank you so much for being a part of the project. It was really lovely hearing you guys bring the show to life. Um, if you ever have any questions, comments, reactions, feedback about the scripts, we want to hear them. Hmm. And of course, in my, you know, jaded Vancouver actor brain, I'm like, this is bullshit. Yeah. They don't care. They don't want to hear what I have to say. They're just sending this out as a nicety. And maybe it was the couple of slugs of bourbon at the time, but I was like, you know what? Why not? Let's see what happens. So I ended Sorry, up. Sorry. And it was like Soren just said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Soren just appeared in my, oh God, in my yeah. headphones. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Let's see. Why not? Yeah. And uh, I, I started writing. And I wrote probably about four pages. That was just like, you know, first off, thank you so much for letting me be a part of this. Um, uh, Soren is important to me for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, here's the ways that I connect with the character. Here are the ways that I connected with the character in the audition process. Yeah. And, you know, here are some reactions to the episode so far. Here's some things that I could see in his character arc. And uh, <laughs> I sent it off. Oh, my God. And I was just like, whatever. They're never going to read this. This is going to go to some fucking spam box somewhere. Within an hour, uh -oh. <laughs> Aaron Ahaz emailed me back. Uh -huh. And he was like, thank you so much. Wow. I I didn't even think of some of these things when we were conceiving the character. You've given me a lot to think about. Hmm. And I was like, what? I, but 
I'm just the actor. Because, hmm. I mean, Vancouver has offered a lot of opportunities to a lot of people, but so much of our voice industry of the past, you know, however long, has been really, you know, paint-by-numbers, you know, kid shows or um, corporate, corporate shows or, you know, toy commercials, for lack of better phrasing. And I had never, never experienced that before where the creator was like, we want to hear your feedback and then thank you for your feedback. I've heard we want to hear your feedback a million times and then it's gone to a spam box or yeah. whatever. But I've never had that experience of like, we this made us think. Hmm. And it's really funny in in retrospect because, you know, we, we've had a number of rap parties for various seasons and various things and we all get absolutely shwasted at all of them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a number of times i've had you know staff or or aaron or justin or john carlo or whoever come up to me and just be like this is what you did for this show or for for soren <laughs> specifically and i'm like wow really and I'm, i don't want to go into too many details on that but um it, it's really it's a really really special show hmm. and one of the things that makes it as special as it is, I think, is the incredibly collaborative spirit mm. that Aaron and Justin and, you know, Devin and Ian, Devin Gill is the the one of the producers and head writer on it now, uh, really bring to the table. And they just let us play. Mm. They let us do our jobs. <laughs> so we get to see a little bit, like a little bit more of Jesse Inokalia. In Soren, yeah, you know, then we then we might get of other actors and other shows where there yeah. isn't that kind of coll collaborative, you know, two way communication. Sure. That's incredible. Okay, so Soren, yes, what you like about him? <laughs> Soren is when I auditioned for Soren, the breakdown said, "Think Joey Tribbiani with a sword." Oh yeah, right, yeah. Uh, another another ref they gave was think James Spader in an eighties movie. Yeah, I mean Soren has skills. He has skills. But he's a little dim. He's a little bummed. <laughs> he's like he's a sweet little golden retriever. Yeah, but he's like, what is he like? The youngest. He's member. the youngest yeah. crown guard in history of in the history of Catullus. He's eighteen at the beginning of the story. Yeah, and I mean he is eminently skilled. And one actually one of the ways that. I the uh, one of the things I told Aaron in my letter to him was one of the ways I related to Soren immediately was you know we both have dads with legacies. Oh, like my dad is a grandmaster martial artist. Yeah. He is the head representative for our style of martial arts in the world. Sorry, just now in my mind, your dad is Viren. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, okay. I should I should specify my dad is incredibly lovely. He's, nope, that's how you planted him okay, in my mind. Okay, that's well. it. <laughs> He's incredibly lovely. I love him very much, and he but could he, not yeah. he could not be further from who Viren is, right? Or who Viren presents himself as. But that dad sense of legacy yeah. and that sense of of weight is something that I have always carried with me wow. and that Soren carries with him. And it was an immediate connect point to be all like, oh, okay, there's, there's, he, he has to be the best at what he does. Yeah. And it's not even a matter of, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe he's good at it, but he also knows he has to be the best. Yeah. Has there been anything in his uh, narrative arc that has, like, you've just opened the script and be like, oh, boy, like, that's really surprised you? All the time. Yeah. All the time. The biggest one was in, I think it was season three, 
where uh, Soren gets paralyzed. Mm. Because the boys kind of, they hinted it to me maybe a month before we recorded that episode and I hadn't read the script yet. They were like, hey, so I have a question for you. Would you rather be completely paralyzed or lose an arm? And I was like, oh, interesting question. Because I just thought this was like a would you rather game. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm, I think I would rather lose my arm. But I mean, both don't sound great, but I think I would rather lose my arm. And they had initially spoken about like maybe Soren loses his arm or something, but then they decided it was too close to Jamie Lannister. Ah, uh, right, yeah. right. And uh, they went with Soren being paralyzed. Yeah. And I, <laughs> so Aaron will occasionally do this thing where he'll like message one of us on Facebook Messenger, me, Rack, uh, Jason, whomever, and just be like, hey, do you want to see a sneak peek of tomorrow's episode? Because we don't always get the scripts right away. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're always like, yes, please. I want to see everything. And one of those times he sent me Soren just getting destroyed against a rock by a dragon, you know, sweeping his tail at Soren. I was like, what? What's what happens? Yeah. What next? How, how do? <laughs> and I I mean, that whole arc has a lot of, you know, personal. I, I love that arc so much because, mm. you know, you get to see thoughtful Soren for, I think, one of the first times in the series. Yeah. And it really goes to show that, you know, he, as you said, he contains multitudes. Multitudes, yeah. But the other one that really hit me, man, Aaron's spoilers for season three of The Dragon Prince. It's it's out. Go watch it. It's, it's been like, out for a while. It's nine hours, guys. Yeah. You spend that playing Elden Ring. I did. Yeah. A lot of that. <laughs> more than, much more than. <laughs> it's okay. No judgment here. Thank no you. Judgment. 130 hours to finish it. A little judgment. Thank Just you. Just a little judgment. That's fair. It's fine. Yeah. Um... Aaron sent me again. He was like, "Hey, do you want to see us? You want to see a, a sneak peek?" And I'm like, "Absolutely." And he sends me the scene where Soren stands up to Viren and stabs him, but ends it at the stab. And I was just like, I was gobsmacked. Yeah. I was like, "What? He what? He does what?" <laughs> And I, I like the idea of Aaron playing with you a little bit, it's too. It's great. I love it. Because <laughs> like, yeah, he knows that you would want to know what comes next. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I appreciate it a great deal. <laughs> he sent he sent the exact same thing to Jason before we shot the scene. Mm. And Jason, bless him, Jason emails or messages back. And he's like, thank you so much for letting me be a part of the show. Um, no. It's, it's been a really wonderful journey. Oh, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most Jason thing to do. Yeah. And Aww. Aaron was like, no, 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 Jason, Jason, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember just shooting that scene and just being like, oh, my God, this is this is heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of it, so much of the show is really heavy. Yeah. But done in such a way, I think, that it is not only palatable, but done with care. Yeah. And that's something that I'm really proud of about the show. You should be. You should be. Um, I want to hearken back please. to something that I said. Uh, I want to talk about what I said. No, please. I insist. Um, I talk uh, Which is way when too much. my daughter, yes. Mariana, when I told her that Soren was voiced by a Filipino voice actor mm-hmm. she was so enthusiastic about that <laughs> despite the fact Soren himself is not no, you know a Filipino Canadian um, but you know she thought it was so cool and said you know we are 
everywhere. You truly are. Tell me about the feedback that you have received from fans, um, from Dragon Prince fans, and especially from the you know the Filipino other community. Filipino, either in the Philippines or part of the diaspora. You know, yeah. like I'm assuming that what you know my kid said, you know, that she's not the only one. Most certainly not. Yeah, there have been. It's been really beautiful to see because, I mean, so often if Filipinos are, we're an invisible minority so often. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's a whole host of sociological reasons for that. There's a whole host of cultural reasons for that. Yeah, and colonialism. Colonial, colonial reasons yeah. for that. I mean, I, I would, I'm just reading a book right now called uh, Brown Skin, White Minds by the by a gentleman named uh, Dr. E.J. Davis, E.J.R. David, David Davis, one of those. And it is a, it is a, it is his thesis about why Filipinos uh, have, have so deeply ingrained in them the, the colonial mentality that has been impacted upon them. It's a really, really good read. I mean, I'm just even responding to yeah. the title. Yeah. <gasps> wow. It's a very, very good read. Brown Skin, White Brown Minds. Brown Skin, White Minds. Uh, people can check the footnotes for this check episode to find yeah. a link to the oh, yeah. to a place to buy the book. The other the other thing I the other book I've been reading that I think is really good for this is by uh uh Dr. Anthony Ocampo called um oh, what was it called? The Latinos of Asia. That's what it was. The Latinos, the of, Latinos Asia. of Asia. Yeah. And his book is a study based specifically in Los Angeles about the self-identification of a study of Filipinos that he that he worked with in in Los Angeles, specifically in Eagle Rock, uh, and how closely they identify with the Latino and Mexican populations versus how closely they associate or how closely they identify with you know, Chinese or Japanese Other Asian populations. Yeah. yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, anyway. My, my Sorry, my mind is, I've been part of a Filipino family for like more than 20 years now. Yeah. It's really, this, the stuff you're saying is really resonating oh, yeah. with me. Well, 100%. It, it, it's so hard, right? Because, yeah. you know, I, I never learned Tagalog growing up. Yeah. I never learned, like the, the biggest connection I had to my culture ever was martial arts. Mm. And as I've, you know, as I've grown and as I've wanted to learn more, I've reached out more. I've learned more about my community. I've learned more about my history, my roots. Yeah. And the best food. Can, oh, can, yeah. I mean, I, I mention this every time I have a Filipino uh, actor on here. Um, but a lot of y'all <laughs> who aren't Filipino have been sleeping on Filipino food. Absolutely. You want the most exciting desserts oh. just to start with that just the desserts um, yeah just like just let's just stop, talk about desserts because that is like where like like i <laughs> get my rocks off you know so like <laughs> the kachinta you know the little the little uh like pounded oh, rice yeah, 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 yeah. you know where you put the toasted coconut yeah. on it hollow hollow which is like yeah. just so visually stunning visually beautiful yeah. and all the, all the ube stuff the purple stuff yeah there's a deep fried banana uh, oh, yeah. Turon. Turon. Yeah. Which is which is dope, you know? But, like, it's always kind of bugged me. Like, once I, like, dis quote, unquote, discover, you know, like, Filipino food, you know, we would we would do the double hit of going to Josephine's and then yep. Aling Mari and I'd get my Pendicel. Yeah. Um, or Polverone, it's another. It's, Polverone, it's yeah. uh, superior to any other kind of shortbread cookie. I just had the most wonderful malted ube ice cream at the Filipino Independence Day Festival that had caramelized polvoron on top. No. It was outstanding. 
Okay, so that is amazing to me. But then I'm like, and I'll always be like, why do like why isn't this as popular? Well, that's you know, the thing. As is, Chinese yeah. food, as sushi, you know, like why? Like everybody should be eating. Everybody should be. We, <laughs> like some pancit or, yes, or like like something, <laughs> something, anything, <laughs> anything, truly. Lumpia. And, I, I mean, you'd think that's the most accessible thing you could possibly fucking eat. Yeah. Well, pancit, I guess, is a little more because it's just noodles. Yeah. But we are we are an invisible minority. Yeah. And the truth is, you know, looking at media, specifically media, the Philip Philippine Filipinos make up the biggest minority the biggest Asian minority group in the United States. Deadass. Sorry, I'm I'm staring at Jesse. My my jaw dropped. My eyes are wide. I had no idea. I think the stats are that we are 36 or 37 percent. What? Followed by, followed by Chinese, then Korean, then Japanese. I think, but some anyway, some some mix. But we are the Whoa. least represented in the media. Yeah. You think of something like Crazy Rich Asians. Like Crazy Rich Asians is a fine example because it is a it's a deeply Asian story. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the Asian experience because mm-hmm. it was, you know, fucking anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got Nico Santos in it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. You know, and I don't even remember if he was playing Filipino in it. Yeah. I, in my career as uh, as an on-camera performer, before last year, I had auditioned for Filipino roles twice Yeah, in 10 years. Now, is that because you weren't getting called in for them or is it because they weren't being written? Both. Right. Both is my assumption. Yeah. But when I did get called in, like, I knew deeply they were not for me. Yeah. <laughs> one was like, my Tito, and one was... Uh, one was like this this 40-year-old warlord in hiding who gets taken down by the CIA. And I walk in looking like I do. And I see Jason Asuncian in the room. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Jason's role. I'm going to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I auditioned, but I remember walking out. And You're like, like, congratulations, Jason. Oh, straight up. I remember like walking by Jason and like we know each other. Yeah. So I was like, Jason, congrats. And then I, I left. <laughs> And I saw on Facebook like two hours later that he booked something and I messaged him and I'm like, yo, was it the thing? And he was like, yeah, it was the thing. Yeah. But before that, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And I've auditioned for, I have auditioned for Filipino in VO three times. I'm surprised there have been three projects. I am shocked. <laughs> I am truly shocked. And those have all occurred within the past two years. Yeah. Before that, you know, because Filipinos are kind of lumped into the Asian diaspora. Yeah. You know, I've... Or lumped themselves. As or lumped kind themselves. Of like showing me now. Because, you know, it's, it's... 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 I think it's hard to have the same sort of pride hmm. when you are so deeply, deeply beaten down. So deeply colonized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of the... Oh, we could have the conversation. Oh, we could. We this could, could be a whole other podcast. Yeah, this could be a whole other other podcast. But I mean, Canada has been um, <laughs> a lot of their. I mean, literally, what I would consider to be racist programs. You know, t- specifically taking advantage yeah. of that mindset. You yeah. know, the live-in caregiver program. Yeah, I consider that to be a racist it program. Is. It is. You know, it absolutely is. I mean, the number one 
export, quote unquote export, from the Philippines are it's women. Yeah. It's women to work, yeah. you know, uh, elsewhere. Yeah. Um, as the, caregivers, as nurses, called? but yeah, the Marcos um, program. Yeah, exactly. Happened, yeah, you know, we, and we've t- and we have talked about this a lot on the podcast. I bring people on, um, either documentarians or actors or whatever. But I think that I only know about this stuff because I, that's my family. Like yeah. my 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 husband, his mother's from the Philippines. You know, so like so I'm aware of it. Yeah, you know, but otherwise I don't see it or I have not seen it in a lot of media. But that brings me back to. To Soren. Yes, yes, yes. Specifically, because yes. I, I want to make sure we talk about yeah. how important it is. Because Soren is not, you know, not a character who shows up occasionally. No, Soren he's, is, he's a lead. He's yeah. a lead. You know, he's central. And um, and you are an important member, you know, of of that family, of mm-hmm. that, you know, of the, the cadre of actors, you know, who are bringing these characters to life. What does it mean? What what are you hearing that it means from Philip? I'm just doing so much hand talking. <laughs> Filipino fans, I, you know that you yeah. are that you are a central part of the TDP family. It has been incredibly, incredibly honoring and incredibly humbling. Yeah, because like the Philippines is one of the most online countries mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. You know, everyone's on social media. Everyone, that's their primary source of information sometimes. And, you know, I have spoken to incredibly talented voice actors in the Philippines, like uh, Vanille Velasquez or uh, Aika Intong, who are are chasing the dream from the Philippines. From the Philippines. Like, Vanille was able to announce she's like uh, one one of the new playable characters on Valorant. She's one of the new playable characters on, uh, uh, Oh God, the the riot game league. Yeah, Val. I remember the Valorant announcement. Yeah. That was that huge. was huge, massive. Yeah, and we're starting to finally be seen, and we're starting to finally be seen in such a way where we can still be proud of being Filipino. Mm. We're not just like you know, we're not assimilating yeah. as tightly or as cleanly as we used to, and I think that's fucking beautiful. Yeah, because it's been forever where we've just been like you know hiding in hiding under different uh, ethnic identities even. Dr. Ocampo goes into great detail in this where he has people who he's interviewed who have just said, you know, oh, I'm Mexican, it's fine. Or, oh, I'm American, it's fine. And- That makes me so sad. It breaks my heart. It truly breaks my heart because, you know, we are our own culture. It's just, we have to reclaim it. Yeah. More than anything, we have to reclaim it because it's been told by the the Americans or by the Spanish or by the Catholic Church mm. for <laughs> four or five hundred years yeah. now. And that's not the truth. Yeah. And the reaction I've and seen. And it matters, too. It matters. Yeah. It really matters. Because, you know, that's that's our identity. That's who we are. And the reaction I've heard from from not only, you know, Filipino fans but also you know diaspora filipino fans has been universally lovely it's Mm. been really really humbling yeah being at conventions and you know talking to um i don't know just whoever you know fans filipino fans who come up and they say how important it is to see it's very exciting me when yeah yeah and i can only imagine i mean i would never claim to step into his shoes but i can only imagine that this must be similar 
to how Dante Bosco felt mm. as Zuko in a, again, primarily white cast and, you know, being Zuko mm. in Avatar. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, he's he's a he's an inspiration. I love his work immensely. I love what he's done. And I like that he's always been, <laughs> for lack of better phrasing, openly Filipino. I think that's perfect phrasing. <laughs> I think that's perfect phrasing. Well, I think about like like Mark Paul Gosseler, who is, I believe, Indonesian. Yeah. And, you know, for the longest time, I was like, that's just Zach Morris. That's that's the whitest California boy in the world. And then like four years ago, I'm like, oh, he's Indonesian. Yeah. Fuck. Why weren't you saying this, Mark? And I know why he's not saying it. Yeah. You know, it's the same or reason. Or why he wasn't saying it back then. Yeah, exactly. It's the same reason Kehei Kwan never worked after fucking uh, Goonies. Yeah. It's the same reason F. Marie Abraham doesn't use his real first name. Yeah. You know, it's because we need to be seen as as palatable as possible to, you know, the flyover states, for lack of better to phrasing. The, well, to the white supremacist system. To the system, white supremacist you know? system, but exactly. I, I, know... I don't mean to implicate the... The flyovers, they're lovely people. Well, and like there are there are Filipinos and South Asians Everywhere. and everybody living in those states, you Everywhere. know, as well. Yeah. I'll say though, like I, I've definitely I have faced that. Um I've definitely faced that. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I got married, I took my husband's last name because mm -hmm. his his mother's Filipino, his dad's white. And I'm like, okay, no one can say my last name, which is Mera. Uh I'll take the the I'll take the white last name, which is Firminger. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I could go back in time and tell tell myself, no, like be be who you are and be proud yeah. of it. And so that's why recently like in the last couple of years, I've reclaimed my middle name. That's why instead of being Sabrina Furminger, I'm Sabrina Rani Furminger. Love it. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I will. I will say I am South Asian. I'm Ukrainian. Yeah. This is my name. That's who you, you know? are. And and it's really. I mean, I can't go back in time and live my life a different way, uh, but I can live it differently now. And it's very. It's inspirational. I got to tell you, the work you're doing, the way I talk about myself. It makes a difference to my eleven-year-old, yeah. who is Philippine, who who now feels connection yeah. and pride, you know, to all of her various cultures, yeah. and even the way she talks about it, she doesn't say I'm quarter this quarter that quarter. Yeah. she's like I am this and I'm this and I'm this, and I think that's so cool. I think that's I think that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I remember reading a take on Twitter from I, I wish I could just write these down, but I don't know who says any of this. <laughs> But I remember someone on Twitter talking about the way we treat like mestizo, Fil Filipino mestizo populations mm -hmm. who are, you know, half Filipino, half white usually or half whatever. And how there's almost a, a an immediate disconnect in the phrasing. Because hmm. for the longest time, I was like, oh, I'm half white, half Filipino. Yeah. You know, I'm biracial. With, uh, biracial, I still keep. A lot of buys in here. But um, I, I would always say, you know, I'm half this, half this. Yeah. And I didn't realize what that language was doing to my brain. Yes, Just I am the, the same. The pure yes. language of saying, I am half of this being and half of this being. So you're not a whole. Exactly. Yes. Instead of just saying, I'm Filipino and that's a thing I can just claim because I am. You are. And that's not to speak to like, I mean... 
whatever other communities. But that's that's how I've found a lot more peace within myself mm. where, you know, <laughs> it's so funny and sad. Years and years and years and years ago, especially when I first started acting, I was worried because, of course, I'm I'm at the time half Filipino. Mm -hmm. How do I fit into this industry? How do I do whatever? And I never corrected people on the pronunciation of my last name. Mm. I just said Inokala. That's fine. That's that's that works. Maybe that's Italian. Who knows? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe five or six years ago, I started correcting people. Yeah. No, probably seven now. And I received no pushback. Yeah. I received the occasional like, you know, oh, I've been mispronouncing it forever. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's totally cool. Not a big deal. But this is how it's pronounced. Yeah. And, you know, now I think back on Inokala. I'm like, oh, that's just like my white people pronunciation. <laughs> that's just so that's so the whites can yeah. feel like they got a name right. But now I'm like, fuck, they can pronounce Daenerys Targaryen, dude. Yeah. Like they can pronounce fucking uh, Glamdring, Sword of Gandalf. Like they can they can learn how to pronounce it. Yeah. And if they Agreed. don't, that's fine. They can. I don't need them. Man, what a conversation we have had today. And honestly, I would not have expected... I knew we were going to talk about some big stuff, yeah. but the stuff, <laughs> the stuff we talked about, it's exciting. If I hadn't have broken my glass earlier, I'd break it right now. I'm it's glad. been amazing. I would, but I didn't get a glass. Let's Please, end yes. with what the fuck. Okay, love it. So do you have moments in your career when you're like, what the fuck? This is actually my life. And if you have those, when do those happen? And I mean, what yeah. the fuck? Not what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, I have, I have loads of those second ones. <laughs> um, I, I have those, I have those first, I have those first what the fuck moments as well. Um, the big first one I think for me in my career was actually quite recent. Hmm. It was a few years back. At WonderCon 2017? No, it, mu it must have been before that. 20, 2018, probably. Anyway, some WonderCon. Yeah. And it was the first time uh, I had been flown down to be at WonderCon with the Dragon Prince cast. Mm. So it was me, um, Raquel was there, Jason was there. And we were speaking at a panel to, you know, introduce the show. And I remember walking out on stage and just being like, what the fuck? All these people are here for this. Yeah. Mother of God. And I had that same moment when the first trailer dropped. Hmm. And I had that first moment, albeit tinged with anxiety, when the first season dropped. Because mm. that first season dropped and I stayed up an additional three hours that night because I was just like, I need to make sure this is good. Yeah, I need I I know it's good, but I need to be sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I remember watching it and just being like, oh, act, you know what? This is good. This is fucking good. This is fucking good. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> and I've had those moments too, you know, walking into studios and, you know, one of the first times that I got the chance to record with, you know, my colleagues in in studio, I was just like, holy shit, this is great. Yeah. First time I walked in for you who and friends and I met David and I met... You know, uh, Michelle Brzezinski, who was recording with me, Jan Boss, who was also in the room with me. I was just like, wow, I'm here. I'm doing it. I'm yeah. actually doing it. But the biggest, the 
biggest moments of like what the fuck style gratitude I've ever had have been in meeting meeting fans and in meeting people who I I had no idea my work would reach or my work would impact. Hmm. Like at um <laughs> at Sac Anime in Sacramento and Sac. I uh yeah, this was twenty twenty, January twenty twenty. Oh, the before times. The before times. I was sitting at a table. It was me. Like the whole cast was there. Jack had come up from L.A. or I guess, yeah, up Sacramento's north of L.A. Yeah. Um, you know, Jason's there. Paul is there. Raquel's there. And this little girl comes up to my autograph table, and she's you know maybe I want to say eight, eight or nine maybe. A little little Asian girl comes up, and her parents are with her, and she plops a book down on my table and asks for my autograph, and I'm like, oh, thank you so much, and. Her parents are talking to me because she's she's shy, as a lot of younger fans are. And the parents are like, oh, yeah, yeah, she made this book. And it has, like, all your characters in it, like, all of everybody's characters, everybody in the Dragon Prince. And she wrote about them and what she likes about them and what she doesn't like about them. And she put a little place for you guys to autograph. Wow. And I was just like, holy shit, this yeah. is, this means something. Yeah. Not just Dragon Prince. I mean, Dragon Prince, of course, means a lot to a lot of people, but... You know, there's a lot of times where I think, you know, we we just put voices to fucking cartoons or video games. Our work doesn't really matter that much. And then I have moments like that where I am distinctly proven wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's... I spoke about being a jaded Vancouver actor a little bit earlier, and I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't deeply ingrained in me. But it's really nice to have those moments where it, it stops. Mm. And you realize that, like, the work we do actually has some meaning, even if it's just to, to you know, a, a small group of people. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you on a story with that that I think is really wonderful about the show mm. and that I wish to God Aaron and Justin had told me before they told it publicly at a panel. They got a email an email from the parents of this young deaf girl. And, you know, for those who haven't watched The Dragon Prince, again, just fucking watch it. Yeah. But there's a character on the show, General Amaya, who is mm -hmm. a who is a deaf, uh, incredibly powerful general on the show. And she's yeah. such she's my favorite character and I'm on the fucking show. Yeah. And, you know, the letter went on to say about how this little girl was watching the show in the living room. And, you know, the parents were in the kitchen just doing something. And the girl came bursting into the kitchen and pulled both her parents to come into the into the living room. And General Amaya was there. And she signed to them, Mommy, Daddy, there's someone like me on TV. <sighs> See, this is why I yeah. wish they warned me. Because <laughs> I was just like, I gotta go for a second. Wow. And that story has stuck so deeply with me. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's just, it's it's the culmination of everything that I try and talk about when I say representation, diversity, authenticity fucking matters. Because, yeah. like, those guys are so meticulous. They've worked with, you know, uh, American Sign Language consultants yeah. to make sure that everything looks right. They got feedback on the first season that, you know, Amaya was wearing dark gloves in the first season. 
And somebody from the ASL community was like, she wouldn't actually be wearing dark gloves. She'd be wearing lighter colored gloves so people could see your specific yeah. movements. And they were like, oh, shit, we'll fix that. And they fixed it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and th that that matters so much, not just to, to you know, the, the deaf community, but to every community that is marginalized or justice seeking or equality seeking within media, within the world. Because that little girl had never seen herself represented on screen, not only as a deaf person, but as a badass. Mm. Yeah, I got nothing now. <laughs> I mean, I almost don't want to do the credits. I just want to leave it at that. And I was like, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Wow. Beautiful. It's been a fucking pleasure. Thank Jesse. you. Thank Jesse you for having me. It's in Ocalia. It's been absolutely wonderful. I... I'm I'm so happy I was able to come and you know just shoot the shit. And you'll come back and you'll bring your dad and we'll, uh... <laughs> for dad cast, yeah. yeah, for dad. And bring Jason too. Oh my god! And then god. we'll have we'll have the two dads. The two dads. <laughs> so okay, funny so, funny story to end it off with. So we don't wait. But we had such a great ending story. No, no, it's fine. Okay, okay. So uh, there's a scene in Dragon Prince where Viren, you know has to tell Soren, he has to go like kill the princes. Mm -hmm. And when we were recording an ensemble, we haven't for a while because of COVID, of course. Yeah. I know. I mean, it's fine. I don't, I, I, I have a lot of colleagues who are like, oh, I miss being in records with everybody. And I, I kind of miss it, I guess. But also it's kind of nice to just breeze in and breeze out. Yeah. Um, so we're recording that scene and the way that we worked in the ensemble was, you know, Jason stands next to me and I'm next to Rack and then we've got the rest of the cast over here and mm -hmm. the Paula and Jack are over here. And as Jason is doing the lines and he's like, you know, my son, you know what you must do. It's my Jason impression. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I got you. it. <laughs> I just felt a weight on my shoulder and I turned and for those who don't know, Jason Simpson is a massive man. He He's is, a mountain of a man. He is a mountain. And I just, I felt a weight and I looked and he had placed his, his hand, his very large hand on my shoulder. And I was just like, I got to go kill some princes. Yeah. Uh-oh. Watch out, Charles. <laughs> just because like immediately the weight hit me of just mm. like, oh shit, this is real. Yeah. But man, it's just it's it's such a it's such a special show. And it's a special show. I remember that moment. Yeah, because it's and you can see in your character's eyes as yeah. well, like the oh oh, and I felt it too. Yeah. Where I was just like, "Fuck, I gotta go! I gotta go do some murders, guys. I'm sorry." Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I feel like we yes. could we could record a part two, but we're not. You're just going to come back. Where yeah, can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social meds? Sure. Uh, so I'm at Jainokalia, J-I-N-O-C-A-L-L-A, on everything. I'm that on uh, Instagram. I've got that on Twitter. I'm on Twitch. I don't stream, so you don't need to follow me there. I don't, I don't do jack <laughs> shit with it. Um I think I think that's why do you my, have an account? I because Streamily, I do online autograph signings oh, once in a while. Streamily is awesome. Yeah, I do that through Streamily and you know uh, Color World once in a while. And when I do those, I I'll post about it. But generally, I prefer to do Instagram Instagram Live because I'm more familiar with it. But I'm also nearsighted, so I can't read fucking comments on it. Mm. Anyway, uh, check me out on those. Um, uh, watch the Dragon Prince on Netflix, of course. 
Um, what else do I have? Wait, do we have a launch date for for season four we yet? Do not yet, because I know they dropped that. They like, did drop the teaser trailer. The teaser and. They're they're doing a panel at San Diego Comic Con oh. coming up that I imagine will be live tweeted by a dozen or more people. Certainly, I'll be following the live stream. Yeah, you okay. don't. I don't know if I'm going yet. I don't think I am, but if not, I'll be following. The then you'll be live following. tweets as everybody else. Yeah, okay. So hopefully, I what I'm told by the socials is you know 2020 or 2022. Yeah. So here's hoping. Um, but yeah, check that out. Um. Check out Lost Judgment on PlayStation. I was able. I'm in the DLC for that. I play some play a cool character. Um, uh, Marvel Thanos stones, of course. Spider Ham. Spider Ham. <laughs> love Spider Ham. Uh, I love him. I love him so much. That was such a shock too, because I didn't think I had that good of a John Mulaney. And then I auditioned, and Adrian Adrian Lindsay, the casting director, was just like, "Is that a voice you do?" And I'm like, "No." I just, I just deal with the movie. Did, <laughs> um, and you did it, and you did it so well. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Discronia, Discronia, Chronos uh, alternate is coming out. I think by the end of the year, that's a VR detective game that is also uh, kind of a visual novel. I play the lead on that. That's coming Whoa. out soon. Uh, well, twenty twenty two at some point. It's it's really cool. It's really fucking cool. That sounds really yeah. cool. Man, what a what a t- great time to be a consumer of content. Right? We love content. <laughs> I love the content. My favorite thing is content, TM. <laughs> well, my favorite thing is talking to people like you in this <laughs> in the studio. So thank you for coming in today. Thank you to our listeners. Yes, thank you very much. They're great. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you were so inclined. It helps us find even more listeners. Yeah. And then we can keep having conversations like that's that right. Today. Smash that like button. Yeah. Oh, s- s- smash it so hard, but don't hurt your, don't hurt your Not computer, like or your phone, or like my glass on the ground. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Yvair Screen Scene or at Sabrine Armf. And you can find us at www.yvairscreenscene.com. Wyvers Screens and Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Rani Mira Firminger. Hell yeah. And it is produced and edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger, Devlet for the original music. Dane, you are a Firminger in our eyes. Wyvers Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short or a feature film, You can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, Visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactor.ca.
Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.